Welcome to Experience Points. I'm Brandon. And I'm Lance. And today we're going to be rolling for initiative. Grab your long swords and great hammers, pass your concentration checks, and pray to God you don't have to roll any death saves, because today we're talking about Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so, Lance, how long have you been playing D&D? First off, pray to God? I think you mean pray to your DM. Uh, second <laughs> off, uh, I don't know, probably, let's see, uh, 18, 10 years probably? Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good time. Yeah, it's. I never really got into it until after high school. I never really knew a Dungeons & Dragons group in high school. Um, it was always something that was somewhat interesting to me, but I just never... Like, I, I, I remember having a and d book. I can't remember if it was just, like, a core rule book or what, but I remember having one when I was younger, um, but I just never had a group to play with, but it always seemed like a, you know, fun concept. And then... Um, and then, yeah, whenever I was like 18 or 19, finally had a group. And so I was able to, to start playing. Nice. And so that was that was before we met, right? Uh, the first group of D&D was with you. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We've known each other that long? Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, I know. And you still don't invite <laughs> me to your wedding. What a bunch of shit. <laughs> uh, maybe the next one. Okay. <laughs> um, so... Um, yeah, that first session we played, I think we played um, Pathfinder for our first time. Yeah, so we played Pathfinder, and the main reason for that was, you know, we had been playing board games, if I remember it correctly, correct me if you remember differently, but we had been playing, we started out as playing board games, and then we kind of threw around the idea of playing D&D, and uh, our DM at the time, uh, Dugan, you know, his familiarity was with Pathfinder. So that's what, you know, when you're up playing. And, you know, I think with us, none of us really knowing D&D at all, it was just kind of like, well, I mean, sure, that works. <laughs> um, so but. what what uh, what's your favorite part about D&D? Like, do you have like a particular like piece of the game that you enjoy the most, like spellcasting or role playing or combat or? Yeah, that's a loaded question. Um there are so many things that are good about D and D. Um, I don't know. For me, I think it's just more um, character creation, and that's past just like your you know rolling of a character. Like as you're continuing to play your character, I feel like you're continuously creating your character and developing your character, and I really enjoy that aspect of it. I I I think whenever I first started playing, I probably would have said combat, but after you really get the rules down really well um, and you you know fully understand everything, I feel like combat becomes less of an interesting piece because it's you know it's it's pretty standard in and out. I mean, yes, there are some fun combats and fun situations, and you get to fight some fun enemies and things like that. But overall, you, your turn is pretty standard. Um, I know that some people do like crazy classes and things like that, and you know with spell casters you can definitely get some some crazy combos and stuff like that but i don't i'm not one of the players that really go out of my way to look for that kind of stuff like if a fun situation arises in combat then i'll you know i'll I'll think of it and i'll go through with it but personally i enjoy probably the biggest part is probably just the character development gotcha what about you um so before i answer that i do realize that we're 
We're about four minutes into the podcast, and we haven't really defined what it is we're actually talking about here. So, Ooh, uh, if, I like to talk about it and then go back and redefine perfect. I like it. Okay, yeah, yeah, because um, you know, if if future Brandon is nice to the listeners, he'll put this ahead of everything else. Um, oh. I don't think he will. No, probably not. Um, so for everybody listening at home that hasn't played D and D before, what we're talking about are tabletop role-playing games, which means that you're sitting at a table, either electronically, like as in virtual games or at an actual table, um, rolling dice to determine the effects that the things you're talking about have, um, usually controlled by a dungeon master or a DM, and uh, having at least two or three up to really a dozen other players. Um, so that's what we're talking about here. D&D Dungeons and Dragons is sort of an offshoot of those type of games, sort of the predominant one, I would say. Would you agree? I, I don't know. I always thought that Dungeons and Dragons was something that people with bad acne and thick glasses played in high school, and they always played it in their basement. And there's something in there about hating God or Jesus or something. I don't exactly know that part. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think both are true, maybe, oh, to an extent. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Some yeah. heretic stuff. I mean, you basically worship Satan, right? I mean, that's, that's pretty much what it is, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, if you don't sacrifice a goat in your first game, uh, mm-hmm. you're doing it wrong and gotcha. you should just not play anymore. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, I will say that D&D has become like a more culturally acceptable thing here recently. Um, and I don't know if it was because of things like uh, Roll20 um, really making it more accessible or if it was you know shows like The Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I mean, honestly, we could probably dive in this as a whole podcast by itself as to why geek culture has got more normalized. But I mean, I, I think we see it more for not just D&D, but, you know, with with comic book characters, right? I mean, if you talk to someone about, you know, Marvel or uh, Lord of the Rings or something like that, you're not really seen as a nerd anymore. And people are just <laughs> like, you know, widely accepted that that's, uh, you know, a, a cultural uh aspect of our lives and that just wasn't that just wasn't the same you know back in the early 2000s or in the 90s and um i think a lot of it's just that our society as a whole is just kind of accepted more and more not just in geek culture but just i think people are a lot more open to just hey if you enjoy that thing that's like you know that's cool um and you know you may think it's weird or something like for example not to hate on any bronies but my Little Pony, I don't understand the aspect of it. I would <laughs> never watch My Little Pony. But that's not because, you know, if someone does like My Little Pony, I don't hate on them for it or anything like that. It's just like, I don't know, it's just more of an acceptance of, you know, that's not something for me. And I think that's the mindset of a, of a lot of our generation, you know, millennials and things like that. Yeah, and I, I agree to your earlier point where this could be an entirely other podcast and we're going very tangential. So <laughs> I, I'm going to bring us back in. Uh, you had asked before what my favorite part of, of D&D is, uh, full circle. If anybody remembers us talking about that, that was like a year ago. Um, Three minutes, but yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, who's who's watching the time? Um. No, I, I will say that for me, I think it's the storytelling. 
I think that storytelling is sort of at its root what I, I enjoy the most out of any form of media. Um, and being able to contribute to that story as a player and sort of craft the narrative alongside other people is really interesting to me. Yeah, I mean, that that totally makes sense. I mean, I, I've played with, honestly, not a lot of different dungeon masters. I mean, most of the games I myself will dungeon master, but not... I would classify the storytelling aspect from a DM perspective as one of my weaker sides of it. And a lot of that is just because it's it's hard. I, I think that you bring up a, a good point of it. It's people are looking for like a good story that ha- that's, you, it, you know, it makes sense. And I think that's very, a very difficult thing to do as a storyteller if you don't have like a basis to go off of and so that's what i will generally do i'll have like you know uh, modules or something that i'll follow and and i'll go through it like that because it does tell a a cohesive story and if i weren't to follow something like that it would just end up being a mess but i do know some dms that are great about that right like they can they don't need to have a general overlay of the story and if a player decides you know what i hate this town i'm just gonna go leave and do something else then they can still have a good story from it and that's just Personally, that's not something I can do. But yeah, I agree that that's like a, a huge, I think a huge thing that players look for. Well, and you know, I, you've played uh, World of Darkness with me, which is my favorite campaign setting for any game ever. Um, you know, it's a unique system um, and it gives the the storyteller, which is the you know game master or dungeon master um, role, like a, a different set of tools at their disposal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like a system like that really leans itself well uh, to being able to like create these um, these narratives that are sort of overarching, right? Like you can get a monster and you, you don't have too much combat. You don't have too much of these other things getting in the way. So you get a monster that you can just focus on. And that's your story is like, how do you deal with this monster? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think that that, and that's something unique that some um, rule sets can can go into. I think across the you know Dungeons and Dragons esquins, you know the fantasy esquins that I'll, I'll kind of classify them as, um, you know like like um, Pathfinder and at the actual Dungeons and Dragons, that it's a lot harder to have that type of system. And I feel like they have it a lot more standardized as you know, yeah, the rules kind of change up a little bit, but whenever you get into these other role-playing mechanics and these other systems, like, like you said, World of Darkness, then you get, you get a lot different play styles, I feel like, and it, it does vastly change the, the player experience, I think. Yeah. And so, um, you know, kind of branching off of that, what are some of your, uh, like, what other systems have you played? Yeah, so I played the Game of Thrones system, um, <laughs> which I'll say right now is garbage. Um, you know, the idea is good. It, it was back whenever I really wanted uh, or was really liking Game of Thrones, and I was really big into it. This was probably uh, season four, season five-ish, my guess would be. Um, and they, the the uh, publishers was at Gen Con. Uh, Rohan Gaming, I believe, is their name. Uh, I'm probably wrong at that. Uh, uh, was it Green funny. Green Running? Yeah, that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, and I had never heard of the the um, RPG before, and I just saw it there on their on their 
uh, desk and I was just like, you know what, I'll buy this and I'm going to buy the other books <laughs> for it too because there's like the campaign book and then, I don't know, it t- ended up being like three or four books I want to say for it. And yeah. I read through the the equivalent of the Dungeon Master Guide. I can't remember what the core rule book was called for it. Um, and I was just, the whole time I was just thinking, this doesn't seem like it's going to play well like <laughs> it, it i don't know the feel to it just didn't it didn't feel right um and i ended up playing a pickup game on roll 20 and i just yeah i i didn't like it at all i didn't like the combat i didn't like how the storytelling was um and it's hard for me to give specific examples anymore because it has been probably well, years at this years point. now yeah so i can't remember exactly what i didn't like about it but i i do remember telling myself like i i don't want to play that again hmm. um but that's just yeah that that was one um so i played dungeon of dragons 3 3.5 4 and 5 um of them all i personally i love 5 i mean that's what we're playing right now brandon and i are in a in a campaign and um I enjoy five. I think five has made a lot of significant improvements over, I mean, over four for sure, but over 3.5, which is what I would consider their last gold standard. Uh, but we can, you know, probably dive more into that. Um, and then Pathfinder, I've, I've played Pathfinder one. I haven't played Pathfinder two yet. Um, Pathfinder two is out now um, as of last year, I want to say, or earlier this year, maybe. It was last year. They're, they did their uh, launch at Gen Con last year. That's right. I remember they had the big booth and yeah, they were you know selling the, the books and everything. Um, but I, from what I understand, they have changed the system so that it's similar to uh, Dungeons & Dragons 5e, you know, trying to make it more simplistic while still trying to keep some of the complexities that are what people like about Pathfinder. Because if you're, if you're trying to look for a difference in systems between Pathfinder and 5e, until the second edition came out, I would have said that the difference was that Pathfinder is a lot more granular about your character. You can really define what you want, but at the end of the day, it, a lot of it doesn't matter. You know, a lot of it is it, it still does just come down to your checks, and it still comes come down to your rolls and and you picking out all these different skills and everything. It just it, it doesn't matter as much. And so, from what I understand, in, in the second edition, they kind of standardized and they collapsed a lot of those and the same with you know 3.5 or 4e to 5e they they kind of simplified a lot of it well and i'll i'll actually walk that statement back for you just a little bit um 4e was perfectly simple as far as character (laughs) customization Uh, it was totally simple for that Uh, you got two choices one didn't make any goddamn sense and then one was exactly what you needed so (laughs) that's how the game worked the problem with 4E was uh, combat and the yeah. length that combat would take. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I, I've told this story to you in the past and I'm going to tell it again now, but the first uh, session that I ran myself as a DM, um, I ran a 4E campaign and I had eight players. First time being a DM. That's a lot for those of you who don't know. Oh, yeah. And uh, the first combat took one hour for one round. (laughs) Sounds like fun. Yeah, it was terrible in every way. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, I think that was a hot pile of garbage that I think everyone agrees upon. Um, 
Yeah. yeah, and I mean, yeah, starting out with eight players already is tough, but I mean, I, I think that brings up a good point about how a player's, I assume a, were a lot of these first-time players? Uh, there were a rough mix of about half, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's that's um, something I always try to be really careful of as a DM. You know, you want your first player's experience to be good because I've, I've seen both hat, both sides. You know, I've played with a... Um, back at whenever I worked um, at a, at an old company, we did um, a D and D campaign because one of uh, my coworkers slash friends was interested in it. I didn't DM that one though because another person who worked there wanted to DM it. But the problem was that they wanted to they wanted to show how open D and D was and how you could really just do anything. But the way that they did it is they didn't have any material ready and they basically just set us in a town and they were like, okay, now this is D and D. And it obviously didn't go well and, you know, everyone was bored because there was nothing to do. And I, I, it just really, like, sh- shown for me, like, how, how important it is that you really want your first session to, I feel like, have some good structure to it so that you can leave a good impression for those players. Because, you know, those players, they're, they're never going to play again. So Yeah. No, I actually have, like, a, a bare-bones sort of, uh, bandit and goblin scenario that I have ready for any new players for uh, for Pathfinder. Anyway, I oh. haven't haven't had to DM for a while, and that was the last system I did. But uh, um, yeah, it's very like you know you're sent by you know the king to go to this village and protect them from bandits, and you're you know ambushed on the way by a, a bunch of goblins, and you know very basic adventurers thing. Sure. Um, but uh, it does give a variety of, you know, using your skills, using your feats, and then using the actual like combat mechanics, um, and some like choices as well. Because I think, I think you're right in that regard. Like that's probably the message that your friend was trying to get across is that you do have the ability to make any choice that you want, um, and yeah. they just took it to the extreme. I think right. Yeah, and if you're not used to playing with new players, then I can see how you would want to do that. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's I think knowing your audience is so big um, with D and D. You know, it, it, especially like what type of content you want to have in there, what type of campaign they want. I mean, whenever we started this campaign, you know, we're playing with players who had mostly all played before, um, one player who hadn't, and so you know you come in with that knowledge and whenever I help them with their character creation, I keep that in mind. And, you know, I recommend someone like, you know, probably a fighter or a barbarian or a sorcerer, if you want to go more magic, because you don't, you probably don't want to give them a wizard or a druid where they're going to be doing like a lot of crazy stuff and they're going to have to manage a pet and and all this stuff. And, you know, maybe after a couple sessions, if they want to go with that, then sure, you know, have them do that. But you, you, you just have to kind of allow them to, do what they want while like trying to manage, you know, trying to trying to keep it within boundaries. Like, for example, if they wanted to play a druid, I'd probably just make them like a fighter esque one, and then just like kind of have you know druid spells and things like that, because you can always you know homebrew some stuff like that. But, um, hmm. but no, yeah, and well, then that's, and that's an interesting gonna, thought. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, no, I was just gonna say the the other aspect of it was beyond the the character creation is also the campaign setting, right? You know, we kind of talked back and forth and discussed, you know, what our options were for campaigns and, you know, what everyone was wanting to do. And 
you know, there's a lot of options, you know, there's a lot of scenarios, you know, you can do like more vampires, or you can do like mythical gods, or you can do, you know, dungeon calling and things like that. And I think having that good story, a lot of it depends on this uh, situation too, in this uh, scene as well, right? Like, someone may not like the theme of vampires, for instance, so you want to make sure that everyone's on board, like, hey, we're doing this type of campaign, this type of overarching thing, you know? Interesting. So I, I want to go back to the uh, the character choices. Sure. So I I um I think that it's really important that you can identify with the character. Like I couldn't sure. play a character that doesn't have some of my characteristics. Uh, obviously, like I typically have a character that runs about the same. <laughs> about um, the same, huh? Yes, about the same. Ah, okay. okay. Gotcha. Um, they're they're definitely like little tweaks that I do for the personality so that I can role play a little bit more. You make um, it more handsome. I'm with you. I'm with you. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but uh, I do think it's important to be able to like see yourself in that character and choosing a class that you really feel like embodies that character really helps out a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, and it depends on the person on that too. Right. And that's something else that I try to figure out and I try to get from them because some people want that. Some people want to essentially be themselves in a fantasy setting and they want to live in the setting and they want to, you know, role play this out and, you know, maybe some tweaks and stuff like that. But that's that's definitely a a play style for sure. But some people are more looking for an escape from reality type deal and they don't want to play anything like themselves. They want to, you know, have a whole different character and things like that. Um, and that's that's totally fine too. But it's it's again, it's all about expectations, so you can make sure that they're having a good time and they're enjoying their character, while at the same time, you know, it it makes sense with the rest of the characters and the situation, and everything. Right. Absolutely. I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, and uh, I, and I would say, you know, the majority of new players, actually, I'll say probably every single new player that I've played with has always picked, you know, basically themselves in D and D because it's they're never comfortable with the RP aspect at first and they just kind of testing it out and they, you know, aren't comfortable with that side of it. And so if they play themselves, they don't really have to role play, right? They just (laughs) say what they would say. And so it's a lot easier for them. You know, and what's difficult too, is you have to blend in with your group. So like for me, I love the RP aspect and I wish that I could like really get deep into character, but, um, I know the groups that I'm in typically aren't those deep role players. And so I hold that back and I still have fun because it's still, I guess still get to be this new character. I get to roll the dice and have that experience. Um, but it, it does feel like I have to hold that little bit back because like the rest of the people are clearly not going to get into as much character as I would, uh, would prefer, you know? Yeah, and it's 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 a it's tricky. It's difficult to to get that level both as a player and as a DM because yeah, you definitely have that wide range and some people, you know, once you start role playing, then you can tell that they've just, you know, tuned out and they're not really interested in the role playing and they're waiting for combat or they're waiting for, you know, their character development or, you know, something like that and it's it's hard to get those levels managed, but I mean, yeah, as your job as a DM is to, you know, try to make sure that it's fun for everyone and that can be a difficult juggle sometimes, but yeah, it's, it's possible. Uh, a, a funny story about that actually. Uh, it was like the third or fourth time I had DM'd 
and uh, I was running it for a bunch of just absolute noobs. Um, and uh, I decided that I was going to use like accents and voices. Mm-hmm. And so I threw on this really thick Scottish accent for one of the characters. And um, I had people like almost walk away from the table because of it once. So <laughs> <laughs> definitely know your audience is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy having fun voices. I'm not good at the voices aspect of it. So it's, it's always difficult to me. And for a player, I can almost never do an accent, right? To keep up a player accent for so many sessions, it's just so difficult for me. Like at least for a DM, you can just, you know, it's a quick conversation or something. You can drop it afterwards, but as a player, it's super hard. Man, uh, so in our first campaign that we did together, w- there was a merchant, and I cannot think of this <laughs> merchant's name. It was the greatest thing ever. It was a throwaway character, and he had a Russian accent. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember his name. But, I I mean, it's a good example, right? Like, a lot of times a DM will create a character, and they'll just be like a one-off, and it's just like this merchant or something. And the next thing you know, they're helping the party kill the big bad because the party likes their accent or likes something they said or, you know, just latches on to one aspect of it, you know? Exactly. And in that campaign, uh, if I remember correctly, it was used as like an emotional hook for us, too, uh, because we messed up and were away from the city too long. And uh, I think it was like an orc raid or something. Um, And we found his head. So that was unfortunate. Um, Which is, it's good to create those emotional, like, binds, I guess. Um, Because then, you know, you can really feel like your character would feel, you know? Um, Yeah, yeah, it's just really enriches the story. Yeah, and, and that can be really hard to do. You know, it's hard to artificially do that. It's hard to artificially make someone like a character. I mean, you can go in with the idea of like, hey, I need this. I need something that's giving them a reason to continue questing or continue helping the town or continue, um, you know, whatever you're wanting them to do. And so you try to create artificially this art, uh, emotional bond, and it almost never works, right? Oh, the characters will probably hate that character, probably kill them themselves. You know, they won't like them at all it it always has to come naturally otherwise it, it's just not going to work yeah okay so uh, one thing that is very fresh in my mind and in my heart as far as uh emotional connections go um <laughs> last session that we had uh my character died and it was oh, very sad yeah um and so how do you feel about uh, character death and like how do you approach it as a dm yeah that's the man doing the doing the old hardballs today character death yeah. is another really difficult one because uh, there's a lot there's a big range that people are looking for right like some people <clears throat> some people whenever they create their character that's the character they want and they want to stick with it the whole time and they don't want to die in any way shape or form ever um and that's fine you know that's okay as long as they're not doing outrageously stupid stuff you know (laughs) if if someone comes in with that expectation and they're not like you know jumping off a cliff or running into a den of orcs or something like that then i will do my best to make sure that character doesn't die um and if they do die you know i'll still give them some options such as a resurrection or you know something like that like i'll give them outs if they want them um 
personally, as a player, I love the threat of death because it makes, like I said, the, the combat to me has gotten a lot more trivial as over the years. And so I love the constant threat of if I don't play correctly or if I just YOLO or if I just do something stupid, I will die as as my character. And I, and I like that threat. I like to you know, actually have to care about it. It makes me care about the um, the combat a lot more. But you have to you have to know what people's thresholds are going into it as a DM. And so as you dying, you know, it was actually two of you that went down and technically died. Um, but role playing wise, you know, there was <laughs> some demonic uh, reaching out where you ended up losing your soul completely, and you ended up dying completely. So you're gonna which I believe you already have, reroll your character and create a new character. But, you know, the other player who died, I knew didn't want to lose their character. And if they did lose their character, they wouldn't like it. And they it would just completely ruin their immersion for D&D and they probably wouldn't continue to play. And you just have to go in with that understanding of, well, some people just don't want to lose their character. And again, as long as they don't do something ridiculous, then, you know, probably, probably let them have that. I like that approach. I mean... Honestly, I'm about the same way as far as character death goes. Uh, granted, whenever I'm DMing, I'm usually running more stricter like rule sets that don't mm. really allow for <laughs> player resurrection. Um, what's uh, There was a great example, and this is also why I tell every player to write stuff down. For the love of God, uh, keep track of what your health is at. Keep track of all that stuff. Uh, because we did like a... We were playing... Uh, world of darkness and i was doing some modified healing rules so i told everybody that they healed up and then there was immediately like a, a combat encounter where a shotgun was involved mm. uh, and a player took a shotgun to the face and then we found out that uh well while he would have died under normal circumstances um he would have been at full health and wouldn't have taken as much damage as we thought he did so we had to retcon it and give him permanent brain damage instead <laughs> of death, which is still basically player death. Yeah, that's a rough one. Um, okay. Well, I, I think we can sort of put a bow on um, D&D for now. I think we'll probably come back to it in another episode because there's a lot of questions that I wanted to get to, and I feel like we're running out of time on. So, Yeah, man, I could talk about D&D for hours, so... Yeah, well, there's probably going to be multiple parts. <laughs> um, all right. So transitioning on over. Lance, uh-huh. what have you been checking out this week? Uh, <clears throat> whose line is it anyway? Um, so whose line was on back in early 2000s slash late 90s? I think it aired like 98 or something like that with your boy Drew Carey. Um, and for anyone that doesn't know, it's a improv show where there's four people up there performing and it's, it's in my opinion, probably the most mainstream type of improv show that there is out there. That's, you know, actually televised and still going and everything. Um, and I always loved it when I was younger, I, I always found the humor, you know, super funny and I, I enjoy improv as well. You know, I, I like the artificialness of it you know whenever i'm watching more structured comedy it's a lot harder to make me laugh because the whole time i'm like all right this has been set up like this is all structured um and they canceled the show late 2000s i don't remember the correct year but they restarted it up 
2013-2014 with um, Aisha Taylor as the host instead of Drew Carey, which is the voice for Lana from Archer. And it still has the same, um, basically their format is they have three stars of the show and then one one guest that changes out to to kind of keep it fresh and um yeah it's it's just as funny as it was back then they only changed it up a little bit i mean most of the same games that they play and everything are the same and um yeah i I just get on these binges where i'll start watching whose line again and then i just can't stop because it's hilarious (laughs) so i love it i i say anyone check it out especially if you like improv comedy it's amazing so See, I, I thought you were doing a bit whenever you first said it and I was waiting for the punchline <laughs> and then you just kept going for another two minutes. Yeah, so <laughs> no punchline, man. <laughs> just love. Okay. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've, uh, I've actually been checking out Shit's Creek. So Is that, hold on. Is this real? Yeah, it's a, it's a real thing. I know Shit's you Creek. were waiting for the, the punchline on mine too, right? I think you're making this up. I mean, you're free to think that, um, no, uh, so Schitt's Creek has Eugene Levy in it. Um, he's the the sort of main build character um, or actor. Um, really just a fun cast of characters, though. Um, it follows really just uh, as a like small synopsis, I guess. Um, it follows a family who loses their their major like multi-billion dollar business um because of like a fraud situation within the company they end up being completely bankrupt from being multimillionaires um and the only thing that they have uh that they own is a small city like a town they bought a town once on a whim classic right and so they have to move there because that's the only place they own <laughs> and they live out of a motel uh, trying to make ends meet while still being these like pretentious people. Um, so, so how it, would you it, compare it to Arrested Development then? Because that sounds pretty similar. So uh, for the first season, it's like if Arrested Development didn't have the straight man of Jason Bateman, ah, okay. which very like uh, just it grinds into your soul a little bit. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Um, Cause they're just all terrible people and you have some like townies that you kind of relate with, mm-hmm. but even they're not fully grounded. So um, in the starting at season two, they figured out, Oh, we need to write this better. And so Eugene Levy becomes sort of the straight man that occasionally has these airs of pretension. Um, and then all of the characters sort of work around that. Um, but the thing is, Eugene Levy, Levy isn't the main character. So you only oh. get him maybe a third to a quarter of the time. Um, the main character is actually the son in the family. Ironic enough that you say Arrested Development. <laughs> um, and they tell a lot of like really progressive stories through him. So I think it's interesting and like a good um show about inclusion in like rural america it's really interesting in that regard Um, but it's also just a slapstick comedy most of the time do you want to hear a fun fact about this show absolutely i love fun facts eugene levy's son dan levy is the son in the show yes um and they play off of each other really well 
I so. would say so. I mean, it's hard to get more uh, charisma than an actual father son. So, <laughs> one thing that I think they do better in this show compared to other shows is the characters actually act like they are related. Like you know how um, relatives will normally have like mannerisms that are similar, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the brother sister on the show have these like quirks, even like in their facial expressions that are very similar to each other. And so they really worked hard to really like refine that relationship. How good are their chicken dances? Um, well, Lance, I got to ask you this in, mm -hmm. in response to that. Okay. What sound does a chicken make? Cluck, cluck, katoo, katoo. Cluck, cluck, cacao? Okay. That's my favorite uh, joke from Rest of Development. A 10 out of 10 on that, honestly. Mm -hmm. Love it. You'll have to check it out, though. I've never... It's it's always interesting how many shows there are out there that, you know, have good ratings and good reviews and stuff, and I just never even hear about them. You know, it's crazy. Well, so if you do watch it, and I, this goes to everybody at home as well, um, or wherever you listen to this podcast, probably in your car, everybody else in your car right now, <laughs> um, don't really put too much stock in the first season. Uh, if you cannot stand it, I couldn't stand it. I skipped like the last six or seven episodes of season one. Um, oh, yeah. And I never, you know, this, I never Probably. do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but once I skipped it, I was able to watch the show. And from season two on, I'm in season six now, and it's just absolutely amazing. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. So guys, um, that's really everything for today. Um, if you like what you're hearing and you want to hear more, go ahead and hit the old subscribe button or, or whatever that button is in your favorite app. Um, make sure that you leave us a review wherever you're listening to us. If that option exists. Um, and I, I do post on social media on Instagram only whenever we have a, uh, a new episode. So if you don't want to get smashed in the face with notifications, that's the way to do it. Um, a post also goes through Twitter. Um, on Twitter, we are at XP underscore podcast. And on um, Instagram, we are at Brandon Cody, all one word. Uh, well, that's all that I've got. Jesus Christ, I'm out of breath. Uh, Lance, do you have anything for everyone? You're really opening up a can of worms by telling people to leave a review. You didn't even say a positive review. You just said leave a review. Oh, I figure they've heard my voice and they've heard your voice. Oh, and... negative. Negative review. Gotcha. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, one stars is what I'm really going for. One star it uh -huh. is. I'm a one star man. <laughs> All right, Lance. Uh, I think everybody's probably... I don't know, rolled their last death save now. Yeah. I mean, whenever you ramble on with these endings, I mean, I feel like people are just like, God, when's he done? Yeah. I, I just like to imagine that there are some people out there that they can't change what podcasts are listening to. Like they're just listening to, <laughs> you know, on, on a, on a playlist. And so they are just hearing us ramble right now and there's nothing they can do about it. Well, I say that we just give them a little, a uh, little break here and say goodbye. Later. See ya.